0: Uh, We're studying the Gospel of Mark. We've been doing that since January, beginning of this year. And uh, we're learning about this man named Jesus. This is a biography about Jesus. Uh, It's called Gospel. Gospel means good news. And so there's something about this story about Jesus that's good. Uh, And we've just kind of been uncovering that week by week. And one of the things that we're learning is Jesus is the God-man. He is divinity wrapped in flesh. And so uh, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You don't have to guess what God is like. You don't have to guess um, what God expects. All we have to do is look at the actions, the attitudes, the words of Jesus. And then in, in looking at him and studying him and thinking about him, we see the will. We see the heart. We see the mind of God Himself. And so today we're going to answer a question that really only Jesus can answer. How do I inherit eternal life? How do I inherit life Eternal life. In other words, what is required from me in order to please God such that God gives me access to the eternal kingdom? We're looking at Mark chapter 10. Let's all stand together. We'll begin reading in verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these for my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But the man was dismayed by this demand. He went away grieving because he had many possessions. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today. We are weak and weary and unworthy. In our flesh, Lord, we cannot figure it out. We cannot fix ourselves. We cannot will ourselves through it. We're not good enough, Lord. We're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. And so we come to you with nothing to offer, Lord. We, we have nothing to barter with. We have no ground to stand on. We simply ask, Lord, that you will look mercifully upon us today. Bless us, Lord, with the vision to see the right path. Empower us with the desire and the strength to walk in it. Holy Spirit, speak through me. As you stand there with your eyes closed, your head bowed, pray a prayer, something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear. What you have to say. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. We see Jesus is leaving a place called Perea. He's been there for a a short time, and he is making his way towards Jerusalem. This is the last leg of Jesus' ministry. Uh, As he gets up and heads out of town, a a man, a man runs up to him. Now, uh, in the in your Bible, what is the the heading of this, this passage we read in your Bible? This is interactive this morning. What's the what's the heading? The rich, young ruler. And so in this passage, we learn that this man is rich. Matthew and Luke also tell the same story. From those passages, we learn that this man is also young. Usually, and this is no offense to you younger people, usually younger people aren't rich, right? Unless they're a trust fund baby or they're selling something they probably shouldn't be selling. Usually not rich. Um, we also learn from Matthew and Luke that this man was a ruler. And that word is only generally used in Jewish context uh, when it's associated with the synagogue leader. So think of an elder or a deacon or a church leader um, that you've, you've thought of before. So this is a man who has successfully managed or made a lot of money. He's earned the respect of his peers. Uh, he has been entrusted with the responsibility to lead. This is a man that everybody else in the community would look at and say, this man's got it together. This is a good man. This is the kind of man that some of you single ladies might be stalking on Instagram this is the kind of man that you, you'd be okay doing business with. Uh, a very respected man. But he does something that's kind of shameful in his culture. He does a kind of, something that respected men don't generally do. Number one, he runs. Jewish men didn't run. If you saw a Jewish man running, you need to run too because something's chasing him. Okay, So he runs, and then he kneels down before Jesus. Jewish men didn't kneel down before other Jewish men. A- unless you're kneeling down to a king or somebody that's forcing you with a sword to kneel down, you wouldn't do so. And so this man shows a lot of reverence, a lot of respect for Jesus. Um, and, and this man asked Jesus a question, what must I do, and that's the emphasis of this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do in order to please God, appease God, pay God off such that he's obligated to give me access to this eternal place? Now I want to stop right there and just remind you of something, and I think you already know this, but just drive this point home. God must give you access to heaven. You get that right? Like you can't hook, you know, uh, call up Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk and get in a a spaceship and zoom. There's no GPS coordinates for heaven. You're not going to stand before God and appeal to a higher judge in order to plead your case that you deserve to be in the eternal place. God must give you access to the kingdom of God. And so this man is under the belief that he can do something. He can be good enough. He can earn enough. He can do enough good works. He can do something that will obligate God, that God must give him access to the eternal kingdom. Now, this man calls Jesus good teacher. That's a very uncommon title. You read Jewish literature, the Old Testament, uh, the, the, um, the Talmud, the Mishnah, you never see any rabbi, any teacher or any man called good. This title of good is only reserved for God alone. And so this man, he reveres Christ enough to call him good. And so he's either saying Christ is God, or he is kind of confused about what it means to be good. So Jesus says in verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, no one is good except God alone. And so Jesus is not saying here that I'm not good. He's also not saying that I'm not God. What Jesus is doing is he's making sure that this man understands what it means to be good. Jesus says, God alone is good. In other words, the true definition of good is God. If you want access to God's space, then you have to be as good as God is. We'd like to think that God grades all of us on a scale. Do you remember those weighted scales in chemistry class when you would take a test? I enjoyed those. You remember those? Because you didn't get graded on the absolute number of correct scores. You got graded in relation to the best grade in the class. You remember this? And I was glad when that happened. But then you would walk up to the teacher's pet and you would say to him very sternly before the test, don't mess this up for the rest of us. Right? Because if they got a high score where it puts you in a bad place. A lot of people believe that God grades all of us on a reverse-weighted scale. In other words, we believe God is going to let us into heaven because we can think of at least two people that are worse than us. We work with somebody who's lazy and they steal stuff, office supplies from their office. And so that we think, well, I'm better than them, so God's gotta let me in. We can think of somebody that we saw on the news who did awful things, and we're like, I'm not that bad, so God's got to let me in. But the truth of the matter is, the bar for us, uh, for goodness, it isn't the lowest common denominator. The standard for the access of the kingdom of God is the goodness of God. The standard for access into the kingdom of God is the goodness of God. That's why Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, For all have sinned and fall what? short of the glory of God. Only God is good. Everyone else falls short of the standard. And so Jesus is saying to this rich young ruler, in effect, you're throwing around this word good. You're talking about what you will do, what you can do to inherit eternal life. Do you even know what good is? Do you, do you really stack up to this standard? And so Jesus gives this man a test, verse nineteen. You know the commandments: do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Circle that. We're going to come back to it. Honor your father and your mother. Jesus gives this man a test of morality: are you really good enough? And when he gives the goodness test, he goes to the Ten Commandments. This list that Jesus makes up here is uh, what's known as the second table of the Ten Commandments. This is the part of the law. Uh, that tells us how we 're supposed to interact and relate to one another. many of us, many Christians out the world, people watching online, many of you in this room, you probably think that you are good i 'm a relatively good person so let 's take the test with the rich young ruler this morning. How many of you by a show of hands, has never ha- has ever disrespected or disobeyed your parents? How many of you have ever disrespected or disobeyed your parents? Somebody getting (laughs) called out. How many of you have ever stole anything, a piece of gum from the store, an answer on a test, office supplies from work? How many of you here, sometimes you lie? How many of you lie? All the hands you don't see up, that's what it looks like to lie in church. And we we agree, you know, I, I mess up sometimes, but it's little. It's not that big a deal. It's a little white lie. It's just a little pen from the office. It's just an answer on this. It's not a big deal. We say, you know, I, I've never, I've never, you know, um, killed anybody, and that's kind of the standard. And Jesus says, well, if you've ever hated your brother in your heart, then it's the same as committing murder against him. Jesus' half-brother, James, he wrote a letter. It's found in the New Testament. He once said, if you know the good that you ought to do and you don't do it, for you that is sin. How many of us have made that mistake before? And so here's the question. Do you pass the test? Are you without sin? Are you as good as God? Are you good enough to earn access to the place where God belongs? The truth, the answer to that question is no. You, listen to me, you are not good. Romans chapter three, verse nine. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. By your own admission, you are a disrespectful, Thieving, lying, cheating, murderer. By your own admission, you do not deserve heaven. By your own standards, you can never earn access to the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't to beat you up. This isn't to promote legalism. This isn't to make you try harder. The standard of God, the law of God, is, is, is not to build you up. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 for no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. You're not going to win that game. You can never be good enough because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Romans chapter 7 verse 7, but I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. Verse 10 and 11, Romans 7, the commandment that was meant for life, resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. The law, the rules of God, are not meant to save you. They cannot save you. They are meant to. The purpose of those rules is to kill you. It is meant to cut you to the heart. It is meant to convict you of your wickedness. It is meant to make you want to die so that you can be born again. It is meant to bring you to the end of yourself so that you will finally seek out a savior. The rich young ruler, he didn't see it that way. Look at this man's response, verse 20. He said, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that this man was so good that he never rolled his eyes at his parents. Do you honestly believe that? (laughs) He was so good, he saw the cute girl in the market, and he never had inappropriate thoughts about her. So good that he never wanted to do harm to some knucklehead that he worked with. We all have somebody we work with we would like to give a nice smack across the face, right? This man took the goodness test. And he truly thinks that he passed with flying colors. He's convinced himself of that. Now, I'm going to say something, that's going to sound crude, but I do think it drives home the point. People living in sin like to sniff their own farts. I know that seems, stick with me. Everybody else in the room is repulsed we can we can obviously sense that this is terrible, and everybody else <laughs> repulsed, but you you sin it's not that bad to me, kind of enjoy it <laughs> that's what sin does to a sinner, and it's happening all through our culture is it not it's happening all through our culture uh, we have this thing uh sexual immorality, sexual deviancy, homosexualism, transgenderism, all these things that God calls an abomination. We don't call it sexual sin. What does our world call it? A sexual orientation, a sexual preference. Uh, We see people that are burning whole cities to the ground, throwing uh, bricks and uh, destroying cop cars and hitting police officers upside the head with bricks and bats and whatever they can get their hands on. And, and our culture doesn't say that's rioting and looting. Our culture says what? It's mostly peaceful protesting. I could go on and on of all these examples that are obviously sin. It's obviously wrong, but our culture paints it in such a way where it's, it's palatable. Paints it in such a way where it's acceptable. It's acceptable. And you know what the modern church does? By and large, the seeker-sensitive churches that we've all kind of been in touch with, you know, you know what they do? They reinforce that. We don't confront the gossip or the greedy or the womanizer. We don't call sin, sin. Instead, we look the other way. Why do we look the other way? Well, because, I mean, the rich young ruler, he's a hard worker. And he's got a good reputation in the city and he shows up to church and he has the right Sunday school answers for all the questions and he serves on the outreach team. You see, our standards are so low. For others and for ourselves, our expectation in the church is so low. We're just glad if people show up. We're just glad if they put a little bit of money in the offering plate. We're just glad if they serve on a ministry team. Just, you know, just don't end up on the 6 o'clock news and we're good. We don't call out sin. We don't push people to grow in their faith. Consequently, we have churches full of marginally committed, consumeristic, shallow Christians. Consequently, we have churches that are full of unqualified leaders. This rich, successful young man ran to the altar. He knelt before Jesus. He called Jesus good. Now, by the definitions of today's church, that man would be qualified to be an elder. Isn't that right? The other leaders would be going to that man and say, Hey, you, you probably need to be an elder in this church. Because from the outside looking in, it seems like he's got it all together. But here are two truths that you cannot get around. Number one, God knows. He knows. You can fool everybody else. You can fool your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your pastors. But you cannot fool God. God knows the secrets of your heart. In this list of commandments, uh, Jesus includes, I told you to circle it, he includes do not defraud. That's not in the Ten Commandments anywhere. Actually, that, that commandment isn't listed anywhere, in any place, with the other Ten Commandments. And so Jesus included something that was very unique to this situation. I wonder why Jesus did that. Do you think that maybe Jesus knows something about how this rich young ruler made all his money that nobody else knows? Everything done in secret is seen clear as day in God's eyes. The world judges the outer appearance, but the God, the Lord knows your heart. God knows. And here's, here's the other thing you can't get around. Deep down, you know. Deep down, you know. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 20, it's a parallel passage of this same story. The rich young ruler, he says this, I have kept all these. What do I still lack? You see, he deceived himself about his goodness. He deceived himself. He, he thought he had it all together. The community had entrusted him with leadership in the church. They thought he had it all together. But in his heart of hearts, deep down in his soul, he knows there's still something missing. What do I still lack. No peace, no security about his standing with God. And so what does he still lack? What's missing? Look at verse 21. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, most pastors and most Christians would have let up on this guy. Right, he, he ran to the altar, he got on his knees, he called Jesus good, he's a productive member of society, he's a moral person. What more could you ask for as far as a church membership, as far as being a Christian? But is that what Jesus does? No. The man says, I'm, I'm moral, I'm, I've done all the things that you've told me I needed to do. What do I still lack? And Jesus says, he leans in, he, he presses in for more. What's Jesus' deal? He seems kind of pushy here. Because he loves the rich young ruler, he presses in. Because love doesn't go along to get along. Love doesn't ignore what's sin or what's wrong. Love tells the truth. Now, by being at this church for any extended period of time, just your presence, you are giving the overseers of this church permission to speak hard truths into your life. We don't really do membership. You're not going to come up here and sign a card and say, okay, I'm a member of this church. We're not there at this point. So we just assume if you show up Sunday after Sunday that you're part of this faith family. And so you've given us permission to speak hard truths into your life. And and there may come a point, I hope not, because I don't enjoy these conversations, make my armpits sweat. I don't enjoy them. But there may come a day where we have to come to you and call you out on your sin or your idolatry. And when we do, your temptation is going to be to take it personally. You're going to say, well, I come to church every Sunday, and I I put money in the box, and I serve on a ministry team, and I'm a nice person. Why are you picking on me? That's what you're going to say. But if that day comes, I want you to remember this verse. Jesus, looking at him, he saw that this man is deceived in his heart about what is true and what is good. And Jesus loved him. He loved him, and he said, you've got something that's missing. This man's sin will send him to hell, but because Jesus loves him, he presses the issue. If and when we ever speak hard truths into your life, we are not picking on you. We love you. Jesus knows this man is missing the most important element of salvation, so what is that? Let me read the verse for you again. You lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So what's Jesus asking of this man? To become a socialist. Is that what Jesus is calling him to? Kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? Sell your stuff, give it to the poor, and then you'll have a place in heaven. Now, as our world grows increasingly deceived and insane, you will see more and more Christians use this verse to make a case that Jesus was a socialist, and if you if you were a good Christian, you also would be a socialist, so is that what Jesus is calling us here to today? now, a Bible study tip if you're ever reading a passage and it's kind of confusing to you, uh, the first thing that you need to do is you need to let the Bible interpret the Bible don't go to cultural you know um, uh, you know, influences or references, go to the Bible and see what other places in the Bible has to say about this issue. So uh, is Jesus calling people, is he requiring you to sell all of your stuff and give it to the poor and become a socialist? Is that what he's calling you to? Mark chapter one, verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon and Andrew were disciples of Jesus. They still had a house. Luke chapter 8, verse 1, After he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching, telling the good news of the kingdom of God, the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Uh, Many others who were supporting him, verse 3, many others who were supporting him with... From their possessions. They still had possessions. They were followers of Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half, not all, half my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house. Selling all your possessions was not, is not something required of all of Jesus' disciples. This was a specific requirement placed on the rich young ruler because the love of money was his greatest sin. Now, some of you, you hear that and you breathe a sigh of relief. You are starting to sweat because you were looking for the offering plates to start getting passed around. Now, if that's you, you breathe a sigh of relief. There's a chance that money could also be an idol for you. Let's keep looking. The rich young ruler was successful and responsible and moral and kind, but he had one grievous and unforgivable sin. He broke the first and the greatest commandment. Exodus chapter 20 verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. This man loved money more than he loved God. But Jesus, looking at this man, loved him so much, even in his sin, even in his rebellion, he loved him so much that he confronted this man's idol. Look at verse 21 again. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. You lack one thing, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Listen, folks. In becoming a Christ follower, you don't add Jesus to your life. That's not how it works. When you become a Christ follower, Jesus becomes your life. Do you see the distinction? You don't, Jesus doesn't just become an add-on to your life. He's not an app that you put on your phone. That's not what Jesus is. Jesus becomes your life. When Jesus called Peter, Peter was a fisherman. When Jesus called him, in proper response to that, Peter, he set his nets down, he left his boat behind, and he followed Jesus. Levi was a tax collector, a wealthy tax collector. Jesus said, come follow me. Levi put down his ledger book, he left his tax booth, and he followed Jesus. There was a man in the Old Testament that got a call of God upon his life to be a prophet. This man was a farmer. Do you know what he did? He took his plow and he broke it up and he made a bonfire of his plow as if to say there is absolutely no going back. I am following God with everything that I've got. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one. You'll despise the other. And so if you're here today and you say with your, your mouth, Jesus is Lord, but in your heart you serve, your life revolves around money or pleasure or popularity or power or whatever it is, if you say you, Jesus is Lord but you love something else more than you love Jesus, then guess what? You will begrudgingly come to church. You won't enjoy coming to church, but you will gleefully go Black Flat Friday shopping on Friday. If you say, Jesus is Lord, but you love something more than you love God, you will rarely pray or read the scriptures, but you will faithfully take uh, pictures of all your uh, Instagram-worthy moments. If you say, I love God, but you actually love something else more than you love God, you'll cross your arms during worship, but you'll run around and hoot and holler in your living room for a football game. You cannot enter the kingdom of God if you are carrying an idol. That's why Jesus told the man, you got to sell all your stuff. Some of you, you need to smash your phone. Some of you need to cut up your credit card. Some of you need to go home and pour out all the liquor in your cabinets. Not because those things are bad in and of themselves in moderation, but because those things have become an idol. Verse 22 But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. This man left dismayed, dejected. He was crushed. His heart was broken. Why? Because he had many possessions. Another way to say that is many possessions had him. His money had him in bondage. He was a slave to it. His identity, his contentment, his hope, and his peace. It was so wrapped up in his stuff that when Jesus Christ, we're talking about God in the flesh, the one who gives access to the kingdom. He is the gatekeeper. He's the one that opens the door. He's the one that says, come and enter into my uh, father's happiness, my master's happiness. He's the one and he's standing at the rich young ruler, and he's saying, this is what you need to do if you want to inherit eternal life. He had it in black and white. Wouldn't you like to know? He had it in black and white, but he loved his stuff so much that he disregarded what Jesus had to say, and he went back to his stuff. How many times I've a across from somebody and counseled them with the word of God, and I look them in their eye, and I say, what you're about to do, what you're currently doing is sinful. It is sinful. God hates what you're about to do. God hates what you're doing. Do you understand that? Yes, I understand it. Won't you give it up? Won't you get it out of your life? I can't, and I won't. How many times? And it breaks my heart. I know a man, and he owns a very, very expensive vehicle, very expensive, and he rarely drives it. He only drives it when it's perfectly beautiful outside, no rain, super dry. If it ever started, he's driving, it ever starts raining, he pulls to a gas station or something and sit there for hours, and not until it stops raining, until the ground is dry. And then every time he takes this vehicle out, doesn't matter if it rained or not. He will go home and he will wash the vehicle again. Now, does this man own the vehicle or does the vehicle own this man? Many of you say, I'm a business owner, but really the business owns you. Many of you, you, you have a phone, but the reality is the phone has you. Many of you, you, you say, I've got control of this thing, whatever this thing is. Maybe it's a pill, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's what I've got. No, it has control of you. And here's the thing, folks. All of the things of this world make a terrible God. You get that, right? Go and pray to your car sometime. I've tried it. I was stranded on the side of the road, and I'm not a mechanic. And I prayed to my car. I said, please, 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 just start one time. Just get me home. That's all I'm asking. Please, please, please. That car did not listen to me, not one second. People love money. You know, money doesn't love you one bit. It's not attached to you at all. You know that. Money, you will chase it around. Chase it around money to say, hey, come chase me. You get more of me, you'll have more happiness. And guess what? You'll chase money around all day, every day. And once you grab hold of that dollar, guess what? It's worth 90 cents. Isn't that true? More and more work, more and more demands to get more and more money, but less and less return. That's the way the gods of this world work. Money was this man's God. And now he sees money's not going to do it for me. Morality's not going to do it for me. And so he leaves dismayed. That was his mistake. He left. He left. I don't want you guys leaving here dismayed. Because here's the truth of the matter. Just like this man, because of your sin, you owe a debt to God that you can never pay. No amount of money, no measure of morality can erase your guilt. No amount of money, no amount of morality can deserve you a place in eternity. Just like this man, you're a slave to your sin. You're an indentured servant. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, God was their God. God was their God. The moment they took that apple, they listened to the enemy and his lies, and they took that apple, because they thought God is keeping something from me. And that's what we do. We chase these idols around, because we think these idols are going to be a better God than the God of the universe. And they took the, that apple and they bit from that apple. The moment they bit from that apple, they, they exchanged their allegiance from God to Satan. And from that moment on, this world, the dominion of this world, it, 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 it fell into the enemy's hands. And so right now, as it stands, if you're living in sin, guess who you belong to? You belong to the father of lies. You belong to the one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. You belong to Satan. That's what the Bible teaches us. As it stands now, and you cannot free yourself from the dragon. He's too strong. You cannot pay back. You owe a debt. You can't pay it back. You can't be good enough. You cannot earn your way out of this prison that you're currently in. But I've got good news for you today. Jesus Christ looked down, and he saw you in prison. And he saw that you had no way out. And he put on skin and bones. And he fought the dragon that you couldn't fight. And with all his wealth, with all his inheritance, he paid back the ransom for your release And on the cross, he said, It is finished. The debt is paid. And this is how we know the tomb is empty. God has accepted the payment. And now God says to you, You're free. You're free. And what do you do in response to that? Friends, this is what so many people do they go back to their idols. They go back to their chains. They go back to the God they once served. And they think that this God is going to give them something it didn't give them before. No, it's just going to lead to death. And so this is what you do in response to this generosity of our king, the sacrificial service of our king. This is what you do. You throw away the idols. You smash them. You destroy them. You burn them. You run away from them. You take your chains and you throw them away and you follow Christ. You follow him with all you have. You don't depend on your own morality. You don't depend on your own wisdom. You don't depend on how good you can be or how smart you can be or how strong you can be. You depend on your Savior, your King, Jesus Christ. And one day you'll stand before God Almighty and you'll be nervous because you're like, did I do enough? And God will say, what right do you have to enter my kingdom? And this is what Jesus will say. You won't have to say anything. Jesus will say, he, she is with me. I paid the price. And at that point, he'll say, come and enter in to your master's happiness. And so friends, let's live in that. Stop chasing your idols around and chase Jesus with everything that you have. He's the only one. Here's the flip side of that coin. Here's another part of it that we miss. When we go out in the world, we want people to know this reality. We want people to know this Jesus. Understand, you've got to start where Jesus started. Where did Jesus start with this rich young ruler? He started with the law. You see, we say the gospel is good news, and here's part of the good news. In order for them to understand the good news, they've got to first hear the bad news. And so there's people in your life, and you're, you're kind of turning a blind eye to the sin. that Their sin needs to be exposed. You need to tell them you're, you think you're good, but you're not good. I'm not good either. I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. He's the one that's good, and I'm trusting in him. You need to trust in him if you want access to the kingdom. That's what it looks like for us to evangelize. That's what it looks like for us to advance the kingdom. We've got to tell people, you're lost. You're hopeless without Christ. Let's all stand together. Father, we are weak. And we're weary and we're unworthy. Uh, God, we, we cannot deserve, we cannot earn the gifts that you want to give us. We cannot do it. We fall short every time. The harder we try, it seems like the more that we fail. The more we try to be good, the less we can be good. The more we try to stop cussing, the more we try to stop drinking, the more we try to stop drugging, the more we try to stop running around, the more it seems like we do those things. Lord, we're so weak in our flesh, and so we come here today and we say, we can't do it without you. Please, Lord, save us from our sin. Please, Lord, give us the strength to walk away from the idols, to walk away from the enemy, and to pursue you with everything that we have. Lord, if there is any person in this room who maybe they've got everybody else fooled. They've been going to church for years and years and years. But in their heart, they know there's something missing. In their heart, they know that there are things in their life that they love more than they love you. Lord, I pray the weight of the law will fall on them right now. Not in condemnation, but Lord, as a wake-up call. As a wake-up call that they will understand that they can't serve two masters. Remind them of that today. And Lord, I pray, I pray they'll begin to despise, not love, but despise their hi- their idol. Lord, help them to smash it. Help them to burn it. Help them to run away from it. Help help them to run to you, to trust in you with all of their heart.